It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. I'm Tom Scarta, and if you don't know the Franchise Academy, we are a place for everything franchise, everything that you wanted to know, whether how to buy a franchise, how to sell a franchise, everything that you need so you can understand the franchise industry with unbiased ideas and notions. So I'm a franchise consultant. I'm a uh, author of Franchise Savvy. I have uh, written several books about franchising and been really helping people find franchises all over the country for the past 15 years. So I work with folks who are frustrated with their career, people that kind of cringe at the thought of going to work in the morning and people that really just want to change their life and change their future, their family's future, and even the future and the services available in their particular communities. Today I'm excited because I have a franchise guru with me by the name of Scott Greenberg. Scott is the author of The Wealthy Franchisee. But Scott has a really cool background. He really helps uh, franchise brands boost level, unit level performance. For more than two decades, he's worked as a full-time speaker, a consultant, coach, gives presentations, or he has given presentations in all 50 states and throughout the world. You know, he talked to companies that you may have heard of, like McDonald's. (laughs) He's talked to Great Clips, Anytime Fitness, Remax, Moody King. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's really interesting. Scott was a multi-unit owner of Edible Arrangements, and that's where he really learned how to make something really successful. We're going to talk about the details of how to do that and maybe even sprinkle in some post-COVID ideas that might help you. So, Scott, are you there? I'm here. Glad to be here. Oh, this is awesome. Welcome to the Franchise Academy. Thanks for taking out the time to do this. You bet. Yeah, this is cool. So how did you get your start? I mean, tell us a little bit about your background and and how you came to write a book about it. Yeah, so for many years, I was already doing professional speaking on leadership, and it was going well. I was traveling around the country and working with different clients, but my wife and I started a family, and two thoughts came to mind. One, I didn't want to have to be gone quite as much to support my family because even if I'm bringing home money, if I'm not there to enjoy my kids, I'm missing out on that. So I wanted to dial back the travel schedule a little bit. But the other thing was I had spent all this time speaking about leadership, but I didn't feel I had, had done, practiced enough leadership. So I wanted to have some kind of business that I could run while still a speaker that I could use as a bit of a laboratory. And obviously I wanted to have a stream of income, but I wanted a place where I could try out different concepts to see what are a bunch of motivational cliches and, you know, and what actually works. So, uh, so it was both for me. So I did really a 10-year case study where I was in the weeds, investing my own money, having my own employees, my own customers customers, paying my own bills, while at the same time, always taking one step back to really understand what was going on, to differentiate the cliches from the reality. And uh, that really made a world of difference for me in terms of running a business and in terms of now being able to help other people run theirs. That's interesting. So when you talk about cliches, what, what is one of the or two of the most common cliches that you hear that are not exactly true? Well, there's stuff that makes us feel good, you know, like, you know, and talking about leadership, you know, no one cares what you know until they know that you care. Well, I told my employees that I cared and they didn't care, right? <laughs> there's no I in team. That's just a spelling thing. That's all there is. 
or, or I heard one the other day, family, forget about me. I love you. I'm like, uh, you know, that stuff, you know, it, it's great you know, on a LinkedIn post. It's great on a bumper sticker and a poster. But when you're trying to run a business and you have hourly employees, you know, you know what that's like. You know, when I started that stuff, my employees, their eyes would glaze over because they didn't read the same leadership books I had. So they didn't know how they were supposed to be responding to my, my brilliant managerial techniques. So I really had to start fresh, hit the reset button and say, okay, there's more going on here than what the leadership gurus are telling us. You really got to go in and do it and through trial and error, figure out what works. So you were a franchisee of Edible Arrangements, is that right? Yes. And multi-units, how many units did you have? Uh, I had two. So I had the first one for you know about six years before I bought the second one. The second one, we acquired a struggling location. In fact, when I bought it, my first store out of 105 stores in California ranked number one out of 105. The second store I bought ranked 104. So it'd really be a better story if it was 105, but I'll give the previous owner credit. It was 104. Um, but we were able to turn it around and make it profitable within a year. But I, I waited that long because I really wanted to understand what I was doing before trying to replicate it. And, and I could have done it faster and probably would have been okay. But again, for me, it was as much about the knowledge as it was the revenue. So the timing worked well for me. So did you sell it or were you still in it? No, I sold them five years ago. Um, did very well on the back end. It was an installment sale. So the owner is paying me um, every month for four years. So for four years, I was holding my breath, but the checks came every month and we're now all good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Do it. Very, very well. I mean, that's one thing that um, I'm assuming, you know, we don't, we're not going to get into numbers or anything like that, but I'm assuming that you got paid more than you paid for it. And that is the brilliance of business ownership, franchised or not, is that you're building equity in a brand and you're going to get paid for your hard work, not only as you're building it, but then when you sell it, you get, you should be able to sell it for something that's handsome uh, as, as kind of a, a reward for, for all your hard work. Right. Yeah. I think that part of one's enter strategy must be an exit strategy. Even if it's not for 30 years, you always want to be thinking about how can you build this thing that will increase in value and, and pay you off in the back end. So that the timing of that worked very well for me. It's one of the reasons I sold when I did. So yeah, we made money during and uh, we made money in the back end. Not that we didn't have our struggles. There were days where you know the bills were piling up and I had to triage them to figure out who I was going to pay and who I wasn't. But over time, we absolutely made money just with regular revenues, and then I did just fine on the back end. Yeah, that's awesome, and and I and I love the fact that you do say you know it's not all rainbows and unicorns in business. You have your struggles, you have your hard times. Uh, well, no it, well, it is all you know rainbows when you sign your franchise agreement. <laughs> right, because that's where you're. That's where you're focusing on your hopes and dreams and what you envision. But at that point, no one is envisioning. You know, I can't wait for machines to break down or for you know for customers to complain or boy, it's going to be great when my employees don't show up for work. No one's thinking about that when they sign the franchise agreement. Yeah. So I, something totally off the cuff that that I've been thinking about because I was in the smoothie business. That was mm -hmm. my first franchise, and I know. Just a few years ago, Edible Arrangements started selling smoothies in their stores. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a brilliant move. Um, how do you feel about that? I exited right around the time that they were making that happen. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you my reasoning for better or for worse. And Edible Arrangements has been a, a great company. They were great for the 10 years I was there. They've been great since. And I think now they're probably having their best year ever. 
Um, for me, uh, you know, I just wasn't interested in the smoothie business. And when I chose my locations, it was based off of the nature of what the business was at the time, which was more about creating arrangements and delivering them. We would have our fair share of, of walk-in business. Um, and that was great. People would come in. We had a co beautiful customer service area for that. But when I chose my locations, it was really thinking about where is a strategic place to dispatch things. If I would have known that I would have had just, you know, small three, four, five dollar product over the counter, I might have chosen different locations. And I probably would have in the construction process installed the plumbing and, and got that ready. So um, but I think that those those new products did, did have done you know very well for edible arrangements. But for me, I was very interested in the celebration business, the fruit basket business. I wasn't interested in smoothies. And so that was part of it. If the, the interest and the passion isn't there, um, then maybe I shouldn't be there either. So I don't know if it was a good or bad mood for them. I just know I wasn't interested in it. Yeah, no, and that makes perfect sense. It's not, it's not what you bought into. Um, and I totally get that. But the, um, I just, just thought it was a good idea because you have this extra fruit. So possibly instead of uh, having food waste on that front, you can actually sell it as a smoothie, which is... Um, not a bad way to go. I kind of, and that's what I was just thinking. Yeah, and and Tarek Fareed, the the founder and CEO, has always been about innovation and change. You're thinking, okay, well, it's fruit baskets. How much innovation can there be? And the answer is quite a bit. But you know that when there's new ideas, when there's innovation, some franchisees buy in and some franchisees don't. And even though, yes, we have fruit, um, the smoothie business, it's still a pretty big jump. We're entering a market where there's all these other competitors where that's their focus. So for some people, there's a lot of concern there and a lot of resistance. But uh, but generally speaking, I think Tarek is a, a brilliant guy. And if you follow his lead, you're going to have a pretty good batting average. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. I met him once at the International Franchise Association, like, I think it was two years ago, maybe he was inducted as like uh, franchise uh, um, franchise Hall of Fame, I think it was. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame. And I think he won Entrepreneur of the Year. He's, he's, he's done okay. Yeah, yeah, he's doing great, really good. And, and, it's, and it's really cool because he, his, his background is awesome, you know, immigrant, you know, all that stuff and, and just made it happen. American Dream. Just, you know, love those stories. And that's, that's it, it, it really is. It's inspiring. You know, we all knew that going into it. Um, and he's a great guy. So it was, it was good to work with him for 10 years. Absolutely. Cool stuff. So um, what is wealthy franchisee? Um, how do you define wealthy franchisee? Yeah. So most of what I do now is I travel around and I speak to franchises. They bring me into keynote or do workshops. These days I'm doing it virtually, but that is the main thing I do. And a big part of my process is to interview as many franchisees as possible with every brand that I work with. So I have talked to a lot of folks and I always ask the franchisors to introduce me to a variety of people, not just their top performers. So I, I see the contrast and I see what they're doing and hear what they're doing and hear their perceptions of things. And I've identified some common traits among all top franchisees who I call wealthy franchisees. Um, and what characterizes a wealthy franchisee and to qualify as a wealthy franchisee profile in my book, you have to meet three criteria. The first is the obvious one, which is the financial one. You're getting paid well given the investment that you've made. But if you take two franchisees, both of whom are making $100,000, and one is doing it, making working 25 hours a week, and one is working 80 hours a week, that's not the same thing. So the second criteria of being a wealthy franchisee is having control over your time, that you're not a slave to your business. The wealthy franchisees who I met, interviewed, and talked to all the time, they go to their kids' Little League games and ballet recitals, and they're often home for dinner, and they, they travel. 
they can oh, they run multiple locations. Um, you know, I met franchisees who have scores of locations. They don't have any more hours in the day than someone who just bought a job and is just running one location. So um, it's not about full time; it's about full commitment. So to be wealthy is you have uh, good uh, good income. You're making good money. You're in control of your time. And the third one is quality of life. That the business brings you more joy than stress. Your life is better for having the business in it. So as far as I'm concerned, you're not a wealthy franchisee unless you can check off all three of those boxes. And there are so many people who can. And so it's not something aspirational. It's absolutely possible for anybody who's willing to embrace the same characteristics and embrace the same tactics. So it's interesting. So you have three criteria that says wealth, but only one has to do with money. And, and I think that's brilliant because I, I agree. I think that if you run, and this is me speaking, my opinion is, you know, not your uh, book, but for me, I think success in business is when you could buy time, meaning yeah. that you have enough staff that's running, you know, well, well-run organization and you don't have to be there. So you, so you could do something else. And it's the right. only, because they always say, you know, money, um, Time is the only thing that you can't buy, but actually you can in, in the right kind of business. So in, in your opinion, when you hear somebody that does have a great quality of life or really is not spending 80 hours or 100 hours in the store, how do they do that? <laughs> how, does that how is that done? Well, one of the main things that I've seen all these great franchisees do is they really just stick to the system. And it's the cliche thing. It's the thing their franchisors lecture them about. But when I look at the top franchisees, that's what they do. They're not interested in innovation or creativity. Yeah, sometimes they have ideas and they collaborate with the franchisor to do that. But they figured, you know, I've already paid for the innovation. I've outsourced that. My job is to execute. And what's great about embracing systems is then you can replicate them. So they're thinking, if I can train someone else to do this, then that's what I'm going to do. My job is to do things that no one else can. I'll let other people run the business so I can focus on growing the business. But that also means not just, you know, directing employees work. It means developing your employees into leaders and engaging them and constantly creating systems. You shouldn't be the one who's wiping down the counters and getting into the minutia. A lot of franchisees love to do that. That's fine. That's your choice. And if that's how you choose to spend your time, great. But you should have the option. And I meet so many franchisees are all about constantly creating systems, really adopting the systems, and then refining them within the scope of what the franchisor suggests, hiring the right people, and then really coaching those people so that they can work independently. So if I'm a leader, I want to make myself as um, uh, unuseful as possible. I want to have people not need me. And that only happens if I really invest a lot of time coaching them. And I have systems that they're able to employ that allow things to, uh, to move forward. Yeah, I totally agree. Well said. So, you know, I think that the, um, you know, boil it down, it's having the, uh, the, the confidence to delegate. And I know even myself, when I first got into business, it, it, you know, it took me two years to trust anybody. It was my baby, right? And I was killing myself. And then after a while, when I learned to delegate and do the things that you teach in your book, I mean, I was feeling guilty because I, I didn't have really a lot of work to do all day long. I was able to, you know, go to the Chamber of Commerce. I was able to meet people, opportunity meetings, and, you know, things like that. So that's, that's really cool. I, I agree yeah. with that. 
I found when I opened my first store, I was there all the time and no one could sell the customers as well as I could. So a lot of things that I just did better than everyone else. But if I trained them well, maybe they could do it 80% as well as I could. And I'm sort of fudging numbers. They I think probably did it 120% better than I did. But if they can only do 80%, that actually is good enough. And if that freed me to go run another store or to go give a paid speaking engagement, even if I'm only selling 80% as much, if it's giving me more time that I can use to make more money, well then for me, that's a no brainer. You can always make more money, but you can't get more time. That's an account from which we only make withdrawals. So we wanna be very careful about where our time is spent. Right, absolutely. What do you think the franchisor's role is in this kind of human resource area of people and training and staffing and stuff? In an ideal world where they have the, the desire and the know-how and the time that they're spending as much time in the franchisee's mindset as they are on their skill set. And that's simply not the case. I go to franchise conventions for a, a, a living and I look at the agenda. And other than me, usually everything that's talked about in every session is something related to operations for reasons that we all understand. But the fact is when you ask franchisors why their franchisees are struggling, usually it's not because of some sort of operational deficiency. It's something about their, their mindset or their catastrophizing or it's some kind of, of human quality. So it would be great if franchisors could spend just a little bit more time in that. GNC brought me in to spend a day with all of their, um, their regional store support, the guys who are out there doing the quality assurance reviews and supporting franchisees. And this is what we talked about. We didn't get into operations. We talked about the psychology of the franchisee and what they can do to boost performance. And I think if franchisors spent more time doing that, um, they would get better results from their franchisees because those human elements are, are so important. And Franchisors don't argue with that. It's why they, they bring me in. Um, but it's not something that, that they know a whole lot about. They know cheeseburgers. They know in-home senior care. They know smoothies. But as far as what it takes to help franchisees be more resilient, that's not necessarily their skill set. So if they could find a way to offer that support, it would be great. But I, I do have to say this, Tom. Um, if you have a franchisee who comes to you and they're looking for a, a franchise system and they have to choose between a franchise system that's offering great emotional support or one that's offering great operational support, go with the great operational support because you can get the emotional support from a lot of other places. You want a franchisor that has the system, that has the product, that has the operation. So it'd be great if they could provide more of that sort of emotional support and understand the psychology and social dynamics, um, you know, ideally. But really, it's up to ourselves to seek out that kind of support and to have that kind of self-reflection. I, I think that's an important ingredient. I, I think sometimes I feel like franchise companies should screen for optimism and pessimism. <laughs> and, well, you know what? And there's some do. One of the people I interviewed for the book was Gordon Logan from Sports Clips Haircuts. And they do have everybody to go through a profile that kind of gets into their psyche and their mentality because they know they're not just building a company, they're building a culture. And they take some of those things in consideration. I personally think they should go a lot deeper with that. It would save them a lot of headaches. Um, but, but you're right. I think there's a, that's something they should take a much closer look at. Right. And I, and I often share with, with my candidates as they're looking for a franchise, somebody coming out of a middle management job, and I, I tell them that 40% of the people that, are, that come to me, I tell them not to go down this road. And, yeah. and they say, well, why would you say that? What, what, what would be a thing? What would be a factor? And it's always, I say, it's hard to define, but it's the sentences be, between the sentences. When you hear the, that kind of negative attitude, that negative tone, 
um, that's what they're going to bring to their business. And when they get into a jam and things go haywire in their business, they're going to be like, oh, man, I knew this was going to happen. Always me. One, this always happens to me. And, and if that's your attitude, you know, you're going to get more of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's deeply fulfilling if, if, if you have the right sensibility for it. But if you don't, it's a really, really difficult way to make a living. If you have a job, if you have a decent manager or boss, they're going to give you feedback and, and give you support. But when you own a business, you're not getting that from anywhere. So if you don't have some level of confidence or some way of getting reinforcement and, and finding a way for your own self-improvement, you're stuck all alone. And that, that can be really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. What is one... Um challenge that you ran into that you actually learned a great business lesson from? Um, I think that we need to be bold, that we need to come from a, to a place of courage rather than a place of fear. Years ago, back when television advertising was really the main way to go, we had a, an election uh, within the edible arrangements. We all had to vote whether or not we wanted to have a national television campaign. And then if we wanted to contribute to it, one of my fellow franchisees voted against it. And I said, you know, we're still an immature brand. People don't know about us. Why don't you want us to be on TV? And he said, well, if we advertise like that, more people want to open edible arrangements franchises in our city. So there'll be more competition. So his idea for marketing our brand was to keep it a secret. <laughs> so that decision was not based on data. It was based on fear. And what I found is the best decisions I ever made for, for my business, any of my businesses, it's always been about doing something that scares me a little bit, making that extra investment in whether it's a better location, doing a little bit of extra marketing, even making the choice to get into a franchise in the first place. Um, most of what I regret in my life are all the things I didn't do because I listened too much to the fearful voice in my head instead of the courageous one. So I would say be bold and act with courage and make sure that courage is backed up with data. Yeah. Great. Well said. Um, and, and I, I, man, I can't, I can't even approve on that. That's exactly how I feel. Um, you always just continue to get what you get if you continue to do the same thing. So you got to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. It's scary for everybody. It's scary for you. It's scary for me, but we do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I, I had a situation literally just yesterday. Um, someone had gotten a, a version of my book before it was released, a Kindle version. And he wrote me like this really nice message. And I, so I asked my wife, I said, do you think I should ask him to write a review on Amazon? Because, you know, we kind of need that. And we're going back and forth. And, you know, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Just, just ask. Um, and none of the guys say yes. He sent me a screenshot. Like he was so happy to do it. And I'm thinking, how many times in my life did I not go for it for fear of what someone else thought or didn't want to offend someone or, you know, fear of rejection and missed out on an opportunity? So I think when in doubt, we got to go for it. Yeah. Well, I, I just have to share an anecdote about that same thing. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was doing a speech, you know, over Zoom and it was, it was about change. And I, it was really about my story and, and what I've done and, and the craziest changes and decisions I've made. Um, and I don't regret any of them, by the way. But um, I talked about all these different change things. And after it was over, somebody, you know, his questions and answers, and this lady raised her hand and said, hey, I'm, you know, believe it or not, I'm a hospice nurse. And um, she goes, I just have to share with you. I, you know, I give you credit for doing what you've done, blah, blah, blah. And I just have to share that. When I speak to people that are, you know, in hospice and they're in their final days of their lives, if I get to talk to them, 
a lot of them will express to me all the things that you regret that they didn't do. Mm. And you, you know, and like, I got like goosebumps. I was like, that, that's like my whole entire message. And, yeah. and here it is, you know, slap in my, in my face. And um, it, it's just incredible. And at the end of the day, life is so short, man. It's like nothing, you know, everybody has just this giant fear of losing money. And yeah, losing money stinks, but it's not the end of the world. And there's always ways to make more money. So fear, fear, fear is like in everybody's life. And as people go through this whole process, I, I share with them, you know, when they're buying a franchise and you've been in those shoes, you, your final decision is not the choice between franchise A or franchise B. Your final decision is the choice between uncertainty or unhappiness. Mm. And most people choose unhappiness and they stick with the stupid boss and a long commute and the job that they hate kind of killing them from the inside out. And I believe that's a big problem in our society is that, you know, what happens when you're feeling down and lousy about your job, you go home and you have a cocktail and then you have two cocktails and then maybe three, you know I mean? It's like, it's a downward spiral because you, you have this fear of doing something out of your comfort zone. So yeah, well, that's why, you know, that's why I have such respect for every franchisee I meet, even those who are struggling, have a bad attitude. It's what's always there in my mind is, but you know what? They pulled the trigger and they went for it. And even if they're not good at it, it was still a scary decision and they did it anyway. And that's my definition of courage. It doesn't mean you're fearless. It means you have the fear and you go for it anyway, because logic dictates that it's a good decision for you. So I have such respect for anybody who does it. And honestly, I have respect for people who pursue it and realize, wow, this is not for me. I need to stick with my job. And if if that really is the courageous decision for them, I respect that as well. But franchisees are a brave folk and I, I really respect all of them. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for saying that. that that's so, so right. So yeah. as people read your book, um, you know, it's, it's hot off the presses, very exciting time for you and your life. It's awesome. Um, what are the main takeaways that you want the readers to really um, take from your book? Well, I, I loaded it with all kinds of content. And, um, you know, for some, it's there's personal growth. There's a lot of like actual business tactics there as well, because I think we need a combination of skill set and mindset to do well. But if I had to take all the tactics, all the chapters, all the topics that I discuss, and instead of doing it in, you know, 85,000 words, I did it in just three bullet points, it would be this. If you want to succeed in a franchise business, you need to maintain a clear head. You need to stick to the proven system and you need to use your business to improve the lives of everyone it touches, which includes fellow franchisees, your employees, and obviously your customers and your community. So it's all the things we need to keep a clear objective head, all the things we need to really embrace and align ourselves with a successful system, including a strong partnership with the franchisor. And then finding ways, 360 degrees, to use your business to improve the lives of everyone around you. Um, if you just embrace those three ideas and let those permeate everything that you do, you know, every, every aspect of what you do, your business is going to grow. Yeah, very, very good. That's, that's worth the read right there. You should pick up that book. Where's the book available, by the way? Everywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, obviously, you know, online. Uh, if there are some bookstores still out there that are open, um, they might be there as well in the business section. There's also um, the Kindle version. There's an audio book out there. And this is kind of funny, Tom. I had to, I, so I narrated the audio book, but I had to audition to narrate my own audio book. 
Yeah. That's written in the first person. I had to audition, but fortunately I do a pretty good impression of myself. So, so I got the part, um, but you yeah. can get it anywhere um, starting with Amazon and uh, would certainly be thrilled to have people enjoy the book. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. So um, kind of to tie this all together, I always like to ask the question, what is one myth about franchising that you could bust right here and right now? Location. We've all heard the expression in, um, in, in real estate, no location, location, location. And that certainly is true for the value of the real estate itself. But for the business, it is a myth that the, that person who is number one in your system is only successful because they have such a great location. What I found from the wealthy franchisees who I've met, much more often, they have a mediocre location that they run extraordinarily well. And a big part of their strategy is to take locations that are failing, that other franchisees have written off, and they're willing just to get out and sell pennies in the dollar because they don't believe in location. And these people operate it in an incredible way, and they make it better. I interviewed one franchisee from the UPS store. He's um, owned and operated five different locations. Twice, he's purchased a struggling location and made it the number one system out of thousands in the UPS store. One of those locations was in a very mediocre spot with no geographic advantages. The second one, not only was it mediocre, it was two doors away from a FedEx office store. The direct competition was two doors away. This guy took each of those locations on uh, separate occasions and he built them number one by providing a high level of service. In your territory, a great location may not be available or it's too expensive. So it's, you want to have a, if you can get a decent location, but run it really well, I put my money there over a great location that's poorly operated. So as opposed to location, 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 it's all about marketing, marketing, marketing. <laughs> well, my opinion, it's about service, service, service. You provide an extraordinary experience for customers, they'll do your marketing for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Service, service, service. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> all yours. That's great stuff. That's cool. I really appreciate being on, Scott. This is really good. How could people get in touch with you? Uh, so you can find me, just look up Scott Greenberg speaker and all the different social media. But my website is uh, scottgreenberg.com, B-E-R-G. Uh, my social media handles are there and all the information on the speaking that I do, the coaching that I do. And pretty soon I'm going to have a, um, a uh, video course. Um, it's a business growth um, program that I'm creating uh, for a franchisee. So I'm very excited to get that out there. But all that is at scottgreenberg.com. That's pretty awesome. Well, again, thank you for being on and um, we will look out for your stuff and all of Scott's information will be on the franchiseacademy.com. So all his information, contact information, where to get the books, everything is, will be right there on the franchiseacademy.com. Thanks so much and uh, see you on the next podcast. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.